night, but uh, word kind of got around. I, we probably should pin fault on me not making that announcement on somebody. Uh, you know, we, we give out the calendar and people don't check it so they don't know on their own. And then I assigned Charlotte to always remind me when it was coming, but no one reminded her, so she didn't remind me. I thought about it a few days previous, and then it slipped my mind, and come announcements last weekend, I, I simply forgot it. But it happened, and we're in the eighth month now, <coughs> and we did meet those who were able. So my apologies, I'm not trying to assign blame on anybody but me. I, I should make the announcement, and I should think of it myself. <coughs> The Sabbath doesn't slip up on me at all, ever. Uh, you count seven and it's always there. But New Moon, is, uh, it's not in sync with anything else. Twenty-nine or thirty days and uh, you determine the New Moons and so on, but uh, it's, it's harder to keep track of, I guess, in that sense. And maybe that's one reason God uh, utilized the Moon in the way He did, is that we would be reminded of the months slipping by and the years slipping by, and to be able to very easily, really, determine when the holy days and all the events during the year should come. And when you understand the system, it isn't difficult. I um, mean, there are enough variables there that you have to double-check your work and be sure you're right because of time zone changes and, and daylight savings time changes and uh, the new moon occurring at uh, different times of the day when it does occur. So there, there are factors there that you have to be careful, but the, the data itself or the process is not difficult. It's just a matter of being sure that you consider everything and don't look at it backwards. Part of it is that we're on a 12-hour, 12 12-hour 12 day, and uh, the moon and the heavens work on a zero twenty-four like the military. So uh, they declared the day at midnight, and the day was declared sundown prior to that in God's plan. So uh, you have to factor in there, because they'll tell you it's a day it's not, according to the way God counts the day. So there are factors there you have to be careful with. But nonetheless, the egg is on my face for not noticing that for sure, and and uh, letting you know. Last week, we got into Deuteronomy 28, which I thought was timely from the standpoint that this nation was blessed greatly from its inception up until the time that God began to remove that blessing, and instead, cursing began to happen, and that is increasing now. Even as blessings accrued over a period of time and development of the natural resources and everything that we had here, and we were, for the most part, a benevolent nation, not a borrower, but a lender, giving foreign aid, giving gifts, helping people out, uh, helping them when they have difficulties, and we still do to some degree, but there's been a change of attitude now, and we are now a predatory nation. Now, instead of going in and helping countries, we go in, if they have natural resources, oil or gold or whatever it is we wish, or uh, space that we need to make a pipeline or whatever it might be, we come in under the guise of fighting terrorists or advancing democracy and blow people up and have become the hammer of the whole earth, uh, doing to people not good but bad. And we have gotten a terrible reputation for that, and it's what we've done. And now we suddenly are the greatest debtor nation on earth, and it happened in a very, a relatively short period of time. So if you can't see that it's changed from blessing to cursing, you're not aware of American history and of current conditions. <coughs> And even as the blessings increased over the decades and hundreds of years, now over a short period of decades, the cursings have increased and increased, and now they're reaching snowball downhill uh, velocity, it seems, and getting worse and worse all the time. 
So here we are, and I went through Deuteronomy 28 to lay the background, uh, as I said at the very end of the sermon last week, uh, for showing that there is a way to escape this horror that's coming. Even as God told through Moses there in Deuteronomy 28, if you will diligently obey my laws, you will have these blessings. But if you deny me and my laws, it will turn to cursings. And he gives the end-time church the exact same instruction, that if we will worship God with all our heart, we will have blessing and protection But if we do not, we will be scattered and put into tribulation with the rest of the world. So the conditions haven't changed at all in terms of God's attitude, his instruction, his direction for us and what we ought to be doing. He is the only salvation that is available. Revelation tells us that when all this starts coming down, Men will wish to die, that death would be far more welcome than life. Things will get so bad. And then they can't find a way to die, so they go to the mountains and plead for the rocks to fall on them, to kill them, please. That's how bad it is going to become. But God says, for those who will serve him and obey him, And then even what they lack at that, if they will pray to be accounted worthy, they can escape what is coming. So God has always honored diligent obedience to him. And in fact, in Zechariah 3, it talks about the end time work and how diligent obedience must be given. Otherwise, these things cannot happen. If we get the crowns of life, we have to diligently obey God. So, I wish to turn now to the book of Zephaniah. We've been here before, but remember from Deuteronomy 28, it talks about how the cursings would come from many, many different directions and how financially uh, we would have uh, difficulties and become debtors instead of lenders. In other words, we would be in terrible financial condition before this is over. Now, Zephaniah wrote during the time of uh, of Josiah, the king of Judah. He isn't addressing only Judah, however. If you'll go over to chapter 3 and verse 13, he talks about the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies and so on. So he's addressing not just Judah. It was during the time of of Josiah, but he's addressing all Israel here. And as a side note before we get into this, consider to whom Moses was speaking when he gave the information in Deuteronomy 28. He was speaking to all Israel, was he not? To all the tribes, because they were all there. And when he addressed Israel, it was Judah, it was all the tribes, not one or two, but all of them. So they all come under that blessing and cursing thing. And when you go into Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the other prophets, you will find some things directed specifically at Judah, some things specifically at Israel, but overall, the prophecies encompass both, both houses of Judah and of Israel, all the tribes. And I think that we need to make a fundamental or have a fundamental grasp of what that means right here at the end time. Under Herbert Armstrong, the church believed and taught, and most of the church does to this day, that there will be a ten-nation dictatorship in Europe that will rise up and be the ten horns uh, of the book of Revelation. I think what I just said voids that, decries that, that is not what will happen. Now, I've recognized that, I think, for a long time in some respects. Yes, when the uh, 
can't even say the name of it, the, the, the coalition over there of the, the nations of Europe, uh, the, the European Union, Union or community, or, I'm getting old. Anyway, <coughs> it was of seven, eight, nine, then ten nations, and then it got up into the twenties. So it's far more than ten. And understand that most of those nations in Western Europe are Israelite nations. So what Moses said in Deuteronomy 28 applies to them as much as it does to us. All the tribes of Israel, including Judah, <clears throat> are going to be in the famine, the pestilence, the war, and the captivity that is prophesied for all Israel. So how can they form the beast power and whip up on Israel if they're Israel? It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Remember the 1260 days, or 42 months as it puts it, about the times of the Gentiles is about the Gentiles ruling during the three and a half years or 1260 days of the Great Tribulation. It isn't Israel ruling, it's the Gentiles. So this coalition that is going to come together to destroy America and Europe, all Israel, including other places where Israel is, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand uh, primarily, have to be destroyed along with our nation. Now, I took great pains to go through a series on Babylon the Great at the end, and I don't want to review all that material here to prove it again. I mean, it's there on the, on the internet for anyone who wants to go through all those sermons, which I think conclusively show from Scripture that the only nation that can represent the modern Babylon and be its leader today is America. There are just too many things there that can't apply to any nation but this one. But, in a sense, it may be, and we are also Ephraim, we've proved that, and God has called us the firstborn, according to Jeremiah 31. But that doesn't mean the other nations of Israel do not come under the same punishment as the firstborn. They all do. And under NATO, our alliances in Europe, uh, it is basically, for the most part, an alliance of Israelite nations. So this has to come from somewhere else. Now, Mr. Armstrong believed that Germany was, would be the leader of it, the Assyrian. And I won't say that is not lost cause. That may be a possibility yet. But what remedial research we've done so far may indicate that that coalition that comes against Europe and the United States, against Israel, may be led by Russia as the Assyrian, the king of the north. Uh, these things can change a little bit in who the Bible is speaking of. We need to understand that. God changed the birth order of Israel, for instance, and made Ephraim the firstborn, though Reuben was literally the firstborn. And everything we see compared to Scripture today indicates America is Babylon the Great. Well, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, it was a different people coming against Israel. Now, Babylon the Great is represented by an Israelite nation that will be destroyed by the beast and the false prophet, the ten-nation dictatorship, along with the rest of Israel. So there has to be an adjustment to our thinking based on what the scriptures literally, actually say. You can't be the winner when you're the loser if you're Western Europe. You can't be both. So when we read all of these prophecies about Israel and Judah, they have to include all Israel and all Judah. I understand why it might have been thought that Germany would be the one to do it. 
because of how they have been in the 20th century, particularly trying to whip up on the other nations of Europe and even expand to a worldwide rulership if they thought they could get away with it. <clears throat> so they were very aggressive. But even when it talks about the nations of Europe, it talks about Dan being a snake that bites the heel of the other tribes. So even Dr. Hay recognized, and Steve Collins does, who's done a lot of research, that there are a lot of Israelites in Germany. And there may even be more <laughs> than we have realized. Uh, they may be one of the tribes of Israel, mostly. There is no nation that is entirely all Israelite. Uh, I mean, there's been an awful lot of mixing over the centuries, and especially in the last century, with the mobility that people have had. So, uh, we're looking at the basic nations, though, that God gave those blessings to. And he did say the Gentiles would come in among Israel, and eventually would rise up and be the head, and we would be the tail. And that is exactly what we are seeing happen today. Even our own government has opened up our borders, and anybody can come in and be issued a driver's license and a green card and, and welfare and all the benefits of a citizen just by crossing the border. doesn't matter where they're from. So these prophecies are accelerating very, very quickly. But it will come mainly from Gentile leadership. <coughs> and we, I think we've established that some of ancient Assyria did go into the Crimea and into different parts of the Ukraine and in Eastern Europe as opposed to just Germany. So we'll see how it all plays out. I don't know exactly where everybody is, and I don't think anybody on earth does. But God calls things what they are when it's time for the prophecy to come to pass. That's what we have to recognize and realize and then see what we see shaping up. But for those who have been reading and watching, uh, those who are planning a new world government have already broken the earth into ten uh, pieces with parts of different continents in each piece. And they plan to set up ten kings over ten pieces of the earth. Well, that fits uh, the scripture about the, the ten kings and the horns and so on that are there. I don't want to be too concerned right now just with uh, that. I want to get today more to what is coming down and what we need to do, because that's vital to us. Uh, watching all world news all the time uh, comes to a point where it's redundant and they're saying the same things over and over anyhow. Once you get a grasp of it, you don't need as much of that, but some of it is still good. I try to keep up with it. I saw just the other day an article by Dave Hodges, who's pretty well up on things, and he quoted a government document. has the document there. If you want documentation, you can go to Dave Hodges' site and look it up. But he said that the government, the department that issued that statement, says that by the year 2025, the American population is uh, estimated, or will be estimated to be about 68 million, I think was the figure he gave. Now, given normal birth and death rates, attrition, car accidents, and wars, uh, we have still been growing very rapidly as a population. We're well up over 300 million now. And normally speaking, it would continue to go up. But if they project it's going to go from over 300 million down to 68 million, Within 10 years, that's the outside limit, but by then, where would they get that statistic unless they were aware of a plan or a way to accomplish that? Because it is not something that would normally happen, would it? There has to be some kind of force, some kind of plan, some way 
to reduce the population to that figure, if that is the goal and the purpose of someone. It doesn't happen otherwise. I mean, China's had a one child per uh, couple policy for many, many years. But they haven't had that kind of a population reduction at all. So this implies some kind of plan to cause that to happen by our own government. That's from within, not necessarily from without. So there are things like that that you can pick up and watch. <coughs> Maybe that document was bogus. I don't know. I'm, I'm not documented here. I just told you where you can go get documentation if you so choose. Anyway, this book of Zephaniah was written during the days of Josiah, who was essentially a righteous king. And God doesn't mince any words here. He says, I will cons utterly consume things from off the land, all things, says the Eternal. So this is talking about a great devastation. I will consume man and beast. So God is talking here about a major population reduction of men and of animals that he himself will be behind and be sure happens. Now, he may allow Satan and his demons and the men that they manipulate and control on the earth to do a great deal of the actual work. But God is going to be behind it because of our national and all Israel's disobedience to God. <clears throat> just as God was behind Sodom and Gomorrah and previous captivities of Israel when they have gone into captivity before. God has always been behind it, and it was always a result of disobedience to God. So he is going to do it again. And this is an end-time context. The fishes of the sea. You can read a lot of things about what's happening out in the oceans now where many, many thousands of miles are virtually devoid of life. The seas are dying very quickly. And the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, says the eternal. Now, that doesn't mean every man or every individual. Isaiah 24 tells us that he will mentions this same destruction, but he says, in few men left, two or three different times in Isaiah 24. So while he's talking about the earth being burned up and, and all these horrible things that are going to happen, he throws in that there'll be a few left. Out of seven billion, it appears about a hundred million uh, at the time Christ returns will survive. And it says he'll sit down to judge that many there in Daniel. So it's, it's a pretty heavy destruction that is coming. This hasn't happened yet. It has to be an end time thing because it's never occurred up to this point. There, were, there have been times when there's been an awful lot of destruction, such as in the Middle Ages uh, with plague and various things that occurred. Uh, there's been pretty heavy destruction before, but not like these end time prophecies. This is the ultimate and final uh, projection of prophecy. There, there have been other fulfillments down through the ages, but this is the final one, the big one. I'll stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the women of Baal from this place. He tells us to come out of idolatry and worship only him, and he is going to cut off the gods of this and all Israelite nations. Uh, them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and then that worship that swear by the eternal and swear by Malcolm. So even those who use God's name but don't obey him are included, so-called Christians. And them that are turned back from the eternal, and those that have not sought the eternal, nor inquired for him. Now does that mean through history, or the history of this nation, those that have turned back uh, and gone into paganism as our nation has declined and accepted all kinds of pagan traditions, 
Or does it mean those here in the end time who have learned the truth and turned back from it? I think that's more what he's talking about because all those people 200, 300 years ago who began to turn away from what they did know of God, the Sabbath, the Holy Days, and so on, and Rhode Island and other places, they're already dead. They're gone. So you don't cut off their idols necessarily. The idols may still exist, but we've created a whole bunch since then. So he's speaking here to an end-time people. And we'll see that he's only going to save out a small part even of those who knew of God and knew of the truth. So when he says here, those that have not sought him nor inquired for him or turned back from him, I would have to assume that means people who have known and then for some reason have denied or not lived up to or left, gone back into the world, into its ways, into its society and its culture. In other words, they're not really seeking God and inquiring of Him, but they're looking to other solutions in this nation today, whatever those might be. They could take many different people, take many different avenues of trying to save themselves. <clears throat> but God is the only one through whom salvation or protection can come. And that's what all true Christians around the world ought to be doing now, is inquiring of God. Getting out the scriptures, studying them, seeing what they really say. I mean, even the comments I made at the very beginning here. How obvious should that be if you stop and think about it? How are the nations of Europe going to form a ten-nation dictatorship and destroy Europe, or destroy Israel if they're Israel? It just doesn't make sense, but it's what we were taught. It was a, an assumption that was made, but it doesn't fit Scripture, and really it doesn't fit what we see happening right in front of us today. The Russian leader, Putin, just a couple of days ago, threatened the Western world, said, back off or we'll nuke you, in almost those words. Who has the power today? I mean, just looking at the facts, who has the power? And who are we prodding and pushing and gouging at? That should be obvious. It's not Germany. Something in my past or my emotions or my past understanding says, well, just leave a little open area there for maybe the Germans to be part of it. Maybe they will. But that does not appear at the moment what is shaping up, and the moments are getting shorter and shorter. And the thing is going forward and getting more deadly every day. So what do we do? We seek God and we inquire of Him. And that's all I'm doing in saying what I've just said. What does the Bible say? that we in the church have missed for decades and decades by simply not paying attention, but looking at a clear and present danger from Germany through the 20th century and saying, that must be it. Not really based on what the Scripture actually says, but on what was going on at that time. Now we're down nearly to the time of the end, and that's not what's going on anymore. So we have to adjust our thinking as we inquire of God and what his word actually says. Hold your peace at the presence of the eternal God. Sit back, listen to what he says, and put your own theories aside. You know, there is no sacred cow that cannot be slain if that cow turns out to be headed the wrong direction. We have to adjust our thinking based on what God says and what we see happening before our very eyes. We have had certain sacred cows in the church, and Germany leading ten Israelite nations <laughs> against Israel, whatever that meant, was one of our sacred cows. 
And it's one still being milked by nearly everybody in the church. But I'm not sure that that at all fits Scripture. Hold your peace at the presence of the Eternal, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So this is, in, is definitely an end-time prophecy. The day of the Lord is at hand, not very far off. So it's not some ancient thing, it's for now. For the Eternal has prepared a sacrifice, he has bid his guests. There are several different prophecies that say to the fowls of the air, Come, come, there's going to be a great feast on people that die in the wars and the famine and the pestilence that come. I won't go to all those, but we've been there before. He says, During this day of the eternal sacrifice, those he's sacrificing, I will punish the princes, so the leaders as well, and the king's children, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. You have a world-ruling elite today, that are not fully in charge yet, but that's where they're headed. And they will, for a short time, 42 months, uh, control the earth under Satan. And they think that they can go under the Denver International Airport or wherever their latest bug-out place is or whatever one they have that we don't know about. They think they can survive all this. That's not what this says. God says he'll come after their leaders too. So if they think they can escape it, they got another thing coming. Now they might for a while, and they might get their new world order established because the scripture says it. But ultimately, they too are going to feel the wrath of God. And maybe many of them right off. In the same day, also I will punish those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Leaping on the threshold is a, a term that means basically uh, very quick to come through the door and perpetrate fraud, theft, uh, any kind of dishonest business or governmental dealings. And we have a nation today that is filled with fraud from government and banks all the way down through business and every part of society. God even says we would be sick from head to foot. So there is no part of our society today that is not sin-sick with all kinds of financial machinations and fraud and rigged stock markets and rigged elections and rigged this and rigged that. We're sick from head to foot, from the highest leaders down to the lowest of us peasants. So there's violence and deceit, mismanagement and theft. And God is talking here primarily in this chapter about finances and the economy and so on. It shall come to pass in that day, says the Eternal, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate and a howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. Now, the fish gate was one of the gates within the original Jerusalem where it was. And therefore, this prophecy is about Israel. Of course, he's already said that, and all the prophecies are. So we don't need to spend a lot of time showing that. But it's talking about a crash within the nations of Israel. It says, a great crashing from the hills. We sometimes call a stock market correction a collapse. But more often than not, we use the word crash, stock market crash. It's a very word that was selected here to translate into English from the Hebrew, a great crashing from the hills. Hills representing uh, financial monuments or financial hills and mountains. It can be governmental as well. In other words, that which rises above that which is around it that which looks over or rules or oversees what's in the valleys. Mountains always look down on valleys. So when he mentions hills in Scripture, it can mean uh, different types of governments or institutions. <clears throat> How do inhabitants of Maktesh, that was a market area in Jerusalem, 
For all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. So this is a prophecy of Israel just prior to the day of the Lord, and it talks about a great crash, and it makes it very clear that the merchant people are cut down. Those who run our economy, who run business, who run the stock market, who run all the financial uh, instruments that we have in this nation. They that bear silver are cut off. So it's clearly here a financial thing. It shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem, which represented uh, Judah, and overall represents all of Israel as the capital of all Israel once the nations are back together. I'll search it with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that say in their hearts, The Eternal will not do good, neither will he do evil. Oh, all this prophecy stuff, forget about that. God's not involved. We are, have our manifest destiny. We control ourselves. Nobody's going to destroy America. That can't happen here. Uh, we've always protected ourselves, and we always will, and there'll always be a hero to protect America no matter what happens. So he says, you who sit back, and it's, uh, it's a, a boat thing with oars, you sit on your lees. In other words, you stop rowing. You're just sitting there saying, hey, ain't nothing bad going to happen here. That's echoed in Revelation 17 and 18, really, again, uh, where it says that people will not be doing what they need to be doing, but they'll be sitting back and everything will be fine. But God is telling us he will do something. You can ignore him if you want to, but there comes a point where he can't be ignored. We're going to have a financial crash like has never been before. Uh, 1929 and the Great Depression was bad, but it was nothing compared to what is going to happen. We'll see down here in a few verses, they're going to throw all the gold and the silver in the street. That didn't happen in the Great Depression. You scraped for every nickel you could get hold of in order to buy food to survive in the Great Depression. They certainly didn't throw money away. But this is going to get so bad that money will have no value. Throw it in the street, and no one will pick it up. And maybe even gold and silver themselves. This may not be just metaphorical for, <clears throat> for money. It could mean the literal metals will ultimately have the same value. You just can't eat it. You might actually have better luck trying to eat a dollar bill than you would an ounce of gold. I mean, you know, if you get right down to the nutrition and chewability. But when there's nothing to buy, gold and silver or dollars, they just won't help. There's just no value whatsoever. When you're eating your own children just as they're born and eating your own afterbirth, Dollars won't mean a thing. They just won't mean anything. Okay? They sit back and say, Yeah, God's not involved. This isn't a Christian nation. This is an Islamic nation, or this is a, you know, a, a Buddhist nation, or whatever. We're not Christian anymore. Christianity's on the way out in this nation. Other religions are taking over. Therefore their goods, verse 13, shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. We're, we've had a huge building boom in this country. Lots of houses now, but we won't be dwelling in them. People will be kicked out of them. They're doing it in Detroit already, and it's going to spread to other places. If you don't have any water, they're talking about a great migration out of California right now. But there are smaller towns, at least, <clears throat> who have no water. They're trucking some in from a few other places, but uh, I read an article the other day, I think it was on Google News, it wasn't uh, other parts of, of the uh, alternate press, you might say, but right there on a main Google channel said that... Uh, they may have a mass migration out of California. Where are they going to go? All the Walmart jobs are already filled across the rest of the nation. What are they going to do? 
Well, they're looking for water, any way to live. This is on us. The houses they have there will be left empty. They'll build houses and not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. Some of the greatest drought right now happening is in the wine valley of California. They planted vineyards, and they're drying up and dying. Almond trees are drying up and dying. You know what an almond's going to cost pretty soon? Or a grape? Or a glass of wine? The great day of the eternal is near. It is near and hastes greatly. When you start seeing these conditions that are leading to this economic crash, you know that the day of the Lord is coming very quickly on its heels. It's not very far away. Even the voice of the day of the eternal, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. The rich, the wealthy, the princes, we've already said, will cry mightily, bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet. A trumpet here means an alarm, because enemies are coming to destroy, so you blow a trumpet to warn. This chapter is a trumpet. It's a trumpet message. It's a warning of disaster. You don't hear me up here playing a trumpet, thankfully. With the level of skill I have on horned instruments, that would not be pretty. And what I'm saying today isn't pretty, but it's a warning from the trumpet that Zephaniah held to his lips in the form of a pen. Alarm against the fenced or uh, protected cities and against the high towers. We have high towers in our cities. We have a military that is there to guard them. We've already had that breached once, and it will be breached some more. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the eternal. Cause and effect right here. And their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as dung. There will be so many people dead. You won't have funerals. You'll shovel them out like you would shovel barnyard manure. Just get them Away, Get them out of the barn. Get, get them away. That's how bad it's going to be. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the eternal's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Again, not every one, but the vast majority, because he shows some will survive. Even Ezekiel shows a little less than... of Israel will survive to go into the millennium. But over 90% is pretty heavy destruction. So we have to put all the scriptures together to get the picture. Now, that's what is just ahead of us. And it isn't very far away. It isn't very far away. We can see the cracks in the financial system already. And the only reason the stock market is staying up is because the Fed is, which is not the government, but it's a private corporation, is putting billions of dollars every month into the banks so that they can invest and keep the stock market up. And when that is pulled back, and it is time, it will crash according to this chapter. So anything you've got in stocks and bonds and annuities and uh, pensions and Social Security and all those things, welfare, it's all going away in one fell swoop. Crash. Gone. Utterly gone. No help from the government. Then what are people going to do? Because people are depending more and more and more on the government and have been for the last few years in increasing numbers. And that's suddenly just going to go away. It's a scary thought. 
truly is. This nation will not exist at that point. Now, we can go into Revelation 18 and show that the financial crash and the military takeover of this country are going to come hand in hand. They're coming together. Now, one may occur just before the other, but they're not far apart. It talks there about in one day. In one day doesn't mean in 24 hours. It even says, I think, in the same context, in one hour. What it means is a very, very short period of time. Crash <laughs> means crash. When a plane goes down, that's a crash when it hits. When a car runs into a house, that's a crash. Now, there's a little prep time. There was one up in Utah. I just happened to see a blurb, I think it was yesterday, where a car was being chased by uh, the officers and was up to 120 miles an hour, missed a curve, flew through the air, they said 250, 300 feet, and landed in a house and burned house and car. That's a crash. <laughs> Now, there was a little while between the time it left the road and hit the house, but it was not a long time. So when this thing teeters and teeters, well, Isaiah, is it 29? Sticks in my mind, it might not be the exact chapter. It says it will lean outward like a wall. Lean out, lean out, lean out. And it can only lean so far and then crash. It'll fall all at once. So there you have what is about to occur. And there will be nothing of value as far as a financial instrument, a dollar bill, or anything that is any good that you can buy anything with. <clears throat> That's where we'll be as a nation. Now let's go to chapter 2 because this is more what I wanted to get to today. But you kind of have to read chapter 1 first to set the stage for what is coming and what needs to be done. So let's go to chapter 2. Now, we've been over this several times, but I want us to understand somewhat the time frame of when God is going to begin to bless and to gather his people and to do his end-time work that he is projected to do. And we know who will do it, a 10% remnant of his church that he has called out at this end time. So there has to be a time element in there when there is opportunity still to escape, uh, ability to do it, maybe not under entirely normal circumstances, if the call were to go out today. And people heard it, and they had to get here by conventional means. Many of them simply couldn't get here. I think of the people in uh, the different countries of Africa. Kenya came to mind because I was there a little under two years ago, and I saw the poverty of the people. Many of them are literally starving to death, and they have very little of anything. There is no way they could buy a plane ticket. There's just no way. Nothing to do it with. So even if they heard they're supposed to come and said, I'm willing, as some of them told me they wanted to come here, and I was de trying to determine whether they just wanted to come to America, the land of the free and the, uh, the what? Uh, the American dream <laughs> that is fast going away. But you know, it's still better than Kenya or Uganda by a long shot. Some of those countries are already poor over there. Now with this Ebola thing going on, their economies are going to go in the rubbish heap big time because they have no way of continuing business when they're scared to death of dying. I mean, it just stops a lot of stuff. Foreign aid may help them through it, but things are getting worse in this world. So how are people going to come when God says? Is he going to supernaturally provide a way? Will he use some of us, maybe, who are here today or will come soon to fly them here somehow 
provide a plane and we can go pick them up in different countries? I don't know. I've imagined different ways. God says he will stir them to come and they will come. But right now, most of them couldn't buy a ticket and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. If they can't buy one now, they certainly can't buy one six months or a year from now. Do we have to go get them when they say, hey, come get me? (laughs) Or does God pick them up like he did Elijah and just move them over here? He can do it any number of ways. He normally uses human beings to do that type of thing, but he has shown occasionally with Enoch and Elijah that he can move people around. I don't know exactly how he'll do it. But what does it say here? Chapter 2. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O people undesirable. The church overall has been undesirable to God. We, we need to keep that in mind, brethren. The reason he scattered us is because we had become undesirable to him. Now, what does undesirable mean? Not desirable. It means that Christ is preparing a bride for himself with the Father, and that that bride has made herself undesirable. Why would I wish to marry her? He looks at the church as a whole and says, eh, she doesn't pay much attention to me. She's busy with other things. As the song of songs puts it, she went to bed and he came in the middle of the night and knocked on the door and she says, oh, I'm so comfy. I don't want to get up. And then he leaves. Sometimes we frustrate ourselves thinking about why we're not healed, why we're not blessed, why this bad thing and that bad thing happens. Well, it's because we have been undesirable and he spewed us out of his mouth. And the desirability has not returned to the degree that he wishes it. And only about 10% are ever going to do that prior to the tribulation. Then about 30% will repent during. So that means maybe 40%, roughly, would ultimately repent out of those that have been called and perhaps become part of the bride of Christ. Then you throw in the parable of the ten virgins. Some had prepared and have oil, and the others have not. So that roughly indicates 50%, maybe. So put it all together, and it would appear that out of the church, 10% will do the end-time work, roughly a third or a 30 or 33%, according to Zechariah, will repent in tribulation and qualify to have white garments. And then with the parable of the virgins, 50-50, somewhere there between 40-50%, you're beginning to kind of pick up a, a number from the Bible that might be pretty close. And maybe there's other scriptures I'm not thinking of that would impact that as well, but it would seem that out of those that God called, about half or a little less than half, Uh, will ultimately respond and become part of the bride. So when he addresses those people who know the truth, he says, gather yourselves, you undesirable people, and become desirable. That's the point. And when does he say to do it? Before the decree bring forth. Before this decree of financial destruction, we're supposed to gather. Now, when will this decree happen? I look at the way things are right now, and if they pull the pin on the stock market and various things, and sell us out to some overseas enemies, I could see it happening within a few months. I could also see it happening in a year or two. Um, you, you, You can't just call it, but we know it's very near. And that's as much as Christ nailed it down. We can try to do it by calculating years and different things, but he says when you see the leaves on the trees in the spring, uh, you know that summer is near. 
And when you see the leaves appearing of famine and tribulation and wars and rumors of wars and all these things coming on the trees, you know that the destruction is near. So I'm not going to try to pin it down to December or January or February or November of next year. But things are getting worse and worse by the day, by the week and the month, and it is imminent. Let's put it that way. And it will happen suddenly, in an hour, in a day. So when you see the signs happening, he says, gather yourselves together. So this gives us a hint of the timing right here, okay? That's what I'm kind of trying to drive at, and I'm going to run out of time here in a little bit for today. Uh, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the eternal come upon you, before the day of the eternal's anger come upon you. So we've already seen his spiritual anger upon the church. That's already happened and continues apace in the hopes that we will uh, be aware of it and to diligently obey and become desirable to our bridegroom. He wants... A bride worthy and honorable for himself. And that's why the pressure is on us. So if we think and wring our hands and our emotions and say, Oh God, why haven't you delivered us? Remember why we're in this condition. And what it is supposed to do is create within us a response. That is to get closer to God and to diligently obey Him. That's what He wishes of us so that we become desirable. Let me interrupt just for a moment. Nelson just kind of walked out the back, but uh, be praying for Nelson. He's been having some terrible dizzy spells and not feeling well for actually some weeks, and we've known of that, but it's been pretty bad here the last few days. He's out trying to work and trying to do stuff, and he's not the kind of person that can sit in a chair very long. He has to get up and be busy, as you know. He's bad as Shirley. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's, been, he's been really fighting it, and he tried to get up and do some things even yesterday, and he didn't feel up to it. And he, I could tell today he was not feeling good at all, and he probably went to lay down because he's not, not doing well. So he's, he was anointed uh, just recently, and uh, you might throw your prayers up to God for that. Just, I guess, emphasizes what I've been saying the last three, four, five minutes here. That we, not Nelson, <laughs> not picking on him, uh, but we as a people have not been the desirable bride that Christ wanted. We haven't been attentive enough, we haven't had our minds enough on Him and on God's ways, and that's why we have all this in continuing distress, trials, troubles, tribulations, and difficulties. And not only has it come on us spiritually in the church, but now it is coming on the rest of the nation and us together. We've had the spiritual counterpart. Now we're entering a phase where we're still here as human beings and haven't been separated out. So now the fury of God that's coming on the nation, we're also taking part in. So we have both the spiritual and the physical curses coming down on us, whereas the rest of the world, for the moment, just has the physical curses coming down. Because we have been called out ahead of time, and therefore the spiritual and the physical apply to us. So... When we begin to wring our hands and say, How long, O Lord? Or why are you doing this to us? Or whatever our emotions dredge up, we need to remember precisely why this is happening and then do what we need to do to please and become desirable to our bridegroom. So he says, Before this decree of destruction actually hits... We are to do something. Verse 3, seek ye the Lord. Well, that's what I just said. Sometimes I get ahead of myself or ahead of the scripture. Seek you the eternal. That's the very first thing he says to do. Look for God. Find him. Seek him. When you see this trouble coming, 
get on your knees and get your head in the book, and he's already said here, we already read, to seek the eternal. You haven't sought him or inquired of him. How do you do it? On your knees and in this book. That's how you do it. Fasting and meditation goes with that, but those are basically your four tools to seek the eternal. All you meek of the earth, those who have begun to drop their pride and their vanity and their ego and put God first, put his people first, put his wishes and his laws first. That requires a certain meekness to be willing to do that. The meek of the earth, which have worked his judgment, that, this, this can only apply to his church. Seek righteousness. Nobody else out there even knows what righteousness is. Now, we know pretty much what it is. It's just that we have trouble performing it. So he says, when you see all this, seek righteousness. Become righteous. Well, he's telling us right here why we've not been desirable to it. Is he not? Seek meekness. Now, he's already said, as addressed us, as the meek of the earth. In other words, those who have been willing to put him ahead of our personal desires and so on. But even we can become self-righteous. We can become uh, self-sufficient. We can be depending more on ourselves than on God. So even though to a degree we've been meek, we need more of it, obviously, and that's what he says. You who are meek, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the eternal's anger. He always has that caveat in there. It isn't automatic. It's contingent upon our response to him. That's why he says there in Matthew 24, speaking specifically of the flight from Jerusalem to the mountains of Judea, the day that the abomination is set up to pray that you be accounted worthy. Because none of us, at our very best on this earth, are ever going to be worthy of the protection of Almighty God. You can't get that righteous as a human being. There will always have to be a certain amount of forgiveness and mercy. But that doesn't mean you can sit back on your oars and say, I'll have to have mercy. No, he tells us, even though we're going to need some, maybe a lot, we still have to be overcoming, you see. Those that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Who is going to be sitting with him on his throne? His bride. The ones who become desirable. That he wants there. That fit there. He'll always have to show a certain amount of mercy and change us from physical to human out to spirit at the resurrection, as 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 say. That will have to occur for us to be fully prepared to be his bride. We have to be like kind with him. But he wants us moving that direction. And sitting back on our oars or our lees, as it says, won't get the job done. So he says, seek him. Other places say, with all your heart, and maybe you'll be hid. Now, part of what I want to establish here is that the timeline is that God's people are to gather uh, just prior to the time that this collapse, this crash occurs. I'll get into more scriptures that show that timing. I guess I'll have to wait till next week because I have several jotted down here, but uh, seems like the preparation and, and getting to it takes longer than I anticipate sometimes. I intended to get on through them, and I didn't get there. But we got a good basis here to start realizing that these things are upon us. And I want it to be encouraging that there is a way out. There is a way of escape. And God tells us how, which we've just read, that we be accounted worthy of it, and maybe we'll be hid. So we do our part and he will do his. But he gives us more instruction in different scriptures on how and when to go about this and at what time it will occur and what the conditions will be. And I'll try to get that. I said I started to say next week, but I don't speak next week. 
It'll be a couple of weeks uh, before uh, I can get to it. But bear that in mind. There is hope. <laughs> when we look at this wretched world and the way it's going, uh, it's, it's pretty grim out there, and it's getting more grim by the day. And if Ebola doesn't catch hold and create the panic, something else will, because we already read in Deuteronomy that that's the way it'll come. So we don't have to worry about this particular or that particular bug, but whatever bug it is, it's going to be some bug, because he mentions all the diseases there in Deuteronomy 28 that will come upon us. So be that as it may, I think things are happening very quickly, and we need to understand and grasp what we need to do, because I don't want us going into what... We've already been in trouble spiritually, and I don't want us to go into physical trouble on top of it. We need to do what we need to do at the time we need to do it to ensure that God will hide us when this time comes.